0: Hey, it's Andrew. Miles is here too. How's it going, Miles? It's going good, Andrew. So as we've been covering COVID-19 and doing all this kind of stuff, we've been trying to keep the ads out of the podcast. But one thing that we did want to mention is that if you want to support local journalism, if you want to support what we're doing here, if these updates have been useful for you, one thing that you can do to help us out right now is to buy something from our shop. We have a really cool shop at doorcountypulse.com slash shop, and there's a lot of really cool stuff on there.
1: Yeah, we have great posters from our art director, Ryan Miller, of the Door County State Parks. We have posters of the Door County Lighthouses, the two-volume Door County Living in Pictures books, and a lot of other great stuff, even stickers. Like, if you buy a sticker, all of those purchases go to help support this podcast and the work we do each week with the Peninsula Pulse, sending the news out to every mailbox in the county, and we can do all that for free. When you do that, you're supporting the work we're doing here and the... Weekly edition of the Peninsula
0: Pulse. Once again, that is DoorCountyPulse slash shop. Thank you for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined as always by Miles Danhausen. How's it going, Miles? It's going good, Andrew. And that, that would be tech wizard, Miles Sandhausen for you. <laughs> yes. Every day there's another thing where you're like, hey, why isn't this working? Oh, because I'm doing it correctly and that's how it's supposed to work, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Something like that. <laughs> okay. So why don't we jump right into the news? Normally we start out with the official numbers, but uh, we do have our first official positive test in Door County for COVID-19. Uh, so the news came out yesterday afternoon that Door County had a positive test test. You were able to reach out to the hospital and get some more information. Uh, Why don't you let us know how that went down?
1: Yeah, at about a little after five o'clock yesterday, the Door County Public Health Department sent a press release that they had confirmed a case in Door County. Not a lot of details available, but could confirm that it is a Door County resident and that resident had traveled somewhere else in the state where there is significant spread of the virus. So two of the places with the most positive cases are obviously Milwaukee and Madison. You could take a hunch from that, but they didn't say where exactly this person traveled. They didn't say where this person lives in Door County. Not a lot of additional information, but yeah, uh, sadly there, and hopefully this person recovers. We do know that they are being treated in Brown County, not in Sturgeon Bay. For reasons I don't know, but it did, there was no indication that it was something where they couldn't treat them in Sturgeon Bay or anything like that. It's just for whatever reason there it's being treated in Brown or he or she, I don't know who the person is. So, but it's being treated in Brown County.
0: Right. You mentioned that there are scarce details right now, as there probably will remain to be because of HIPAA. Of course, the hospital is not going to release personal information on this person, nor should people be seeking it out. The hospital is contacting people uh, who this person may have been in contact with. Door County Public Health Department will be doing that contacting. I just just didn't want to make people think
1: that the hospital has to do all of that. But the Door County Public Health Department, like you said, is what they call contact tracing, to find anyone this person may have come in contact with while
0: they were infected. Right. One thing that I, I found a little disappointing was immediately people calling to, for this person's name to be released. And that's that's not something that I was super stoked to see online. If this person has been in contact with you, you will probably be reached out to. But beyond that, let, let's try not to hunt down sick people. That's not very cool.
1: Right. Additional information uh, that since yesterday's recording, which we recorded, actually finished up right before this news came out, Door County has tested 102 people for the coronavirus. 43 of those have come back negative, one positive. They, as of yesterday, were awaiting results on the other 58, just to give an indication of the testing pace right now. I did talk to Brian Stevens of Door County Medical Center and Dr. Jim Heiss of Door County Medical Center. Obviously, everyone's still trying to speed up the pace of these test results. In some cases, the results have been sent to North Carolina labs for testing. Sometimes the two Wisconsin labs, there is a tiered system where you either have to be in the hospital or a healthcare worker to get your test done at the state labs for a while because they were so overloaded. Uh, That's starting to change just a little bit. Uh, otherwise, they have to send them out to private labs for testing. So there's a lot of different bottlenecks. For some states now, they they can't even just get the enough swabs to perform the tests. So there's a, a backlog in trying to get swabs that they can that they literally stick up your nose. So that's the sample that they send down. So right, um, we'll have a lot more details on on some of those hangups
0: and what the hospital is doing on um, tomorrow's podcast. But now that Door County has its first confirmed case. What changes, if anything? Uh, are, are there any things in place that people have been talking about as soon as we start seeing cases, things are going to change, or are we taking that day by day?
1: I talked to Chris Hecht from the Door County Emergency Support Coalition this morning. He said they're already seeing increased call volume from people with questions and concerns. And I would guess, I don't know this for sure, but I would guess that you're going to see more people taking even more precautions and hunkering down and possibly trying to take advantage of some of those services to have other people do their shopping for them, especially if they are if they feel that they're at greater risk. But other than that, I talked to Aaron LeClaire at Door County Emergency Services Director, and he said, not a heck of a lot of changes for them because they made their changes two to three weeks ago in terms of upgrading their personal protective gear that their people wear, changing some procedures so that you know, normally my dad used to be a fireman. If you were a fireman, you went to the scene and came home and you wore your gear home. And that's kind of how a lot of these emergency support or uh, emergency responders would do it at times. Now they don't bring that home. They leave it at the center down in Sturgeon Bay because they don't want these people potentially bringing any infection back to their home. If an emergency responder was on a call and they suspected that a patient might have had uh, the coronavirus, that person, when they get back to the shop, will remove their their gear and then hop directly into a shower and take some decon measures before they go back into the building and potentially contaminate any other place in the building or other people. They also take specific decon measures to clean any ambulance that might have been used to transport someone that they suspect might have had the virus. So they are cleaning that ambulance top to bottom. They've actually outfitted one ambulance specifically for cases where they believe it's a it's a... Potential COVID case where that has an oxygen mask and only basic supplies, so it's easier to to clean and and have ready for the next um, less downtime for that ambulance and that staff. So they're they've already been taking some measures to to make sure they're prepared, both to protect, as Aaron said, to protect his his responders and but also the patients, and ultimately even those responders' family when they go home at the end of the day.
0: Right. Do you have the numbers for Wisconsin? Is there anything of note that's changed from yesterday?
1: So Wisconsin total cases is now at 1,351, uh, 16 deaths, 710 of those cases are in Milwaukee County. It continues to go up by about 120 to 130 cases a day, which doesn't seem like an overwhelming number, right? But it, if you go back five days, that is almost double what it was on March 26th. So right. March 26th, it was 707. Now it's 1351. So that's that five-day doubling that a lot of places have seen where it's risen very sharply. So it's hard to say where we're at statewide. I do know that they've said like the, the peak has, they, there is some signs that bending the curve is is working a little bit, but we, we don't know until it happens. Um, hopefully, right. hopefully, that number continues to, to grow slowly.
0: You know, we talked a couple days ago on the podcast about how Washington Island was being affected by all of this. And at the time that we had spoke, there wasn't a lot that had changed with the ferry line, uh, but that has changed now. You were in contact with the ferry line today, correct? What did they tell um,
1: you? They have updated their policy. So they they haven't shut the line down, but they are now limiting the ferry to essential services only. So the, the post office there reported that about 100 new addresses had started receiving their mail on the island in the last uh two weeks or so and it Hmm. seems like if if you were hoping to make a day trip up to the island you're probably not going to be able to make that day trip right now do you know what are deemed essential i guess that's probably taken on a on a case-by-case basis for them i'm sure if you live there and you had traveled for health reasons or something like that if you i mean probably like here there's probably a lot of things that would qualify i can't imagine that there's an incredible traffic volume, but medical supplies, food, gas, things like that.
0: So as we're wrapping up today, Moz, you just got off the phone with Mike Gallagher. Uh, tell me a little bit about what you guys talked about, and then we'll jump into that interview right after this.
1: Yeah, sure. Mike Gallagher was uh, good enough to give us some time this afternoon. We talked about a range of things, a lot about the coronavirus, a little bit about what he knows about the Relief Act that was passed last week and how what businesses can expect and when that can trickle down to them. A little bit about like the kind of the national conversation around this, and some of the mixed messaging that has come out between governors, President Trump, local authorities, and how that has impacted our response, and what he feels about our, our national response, and some of the things that, what's his role in trying to help Wisconsinites right now, and try and procure some of the medical equipment that hospitals. And doctors across Wisconsin need so uh, covered a lot of bases and and went back to some non coronavirus questions with him about reforming Congress and what the receptiveness is to that given the allegations of potential insider trading with some senators and you know the the what he he's been a proponent of some things that to say fix Congress fix the way it operates and so we talked a little bit about that.
0: Well, Miles, we're going to jump right into that. Thank you so much for chatting with me today, and I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Thank you, Andrew. All right, joining me today on the Door County Pulse
1: podcast is Congressman Mike Gallagher. Mike, uh, thanks for jumping on board with us and sharing some thoughts with our, our uh, readers. Happy to join you. This is probably definitely the kind of situation you were thinking of when you ran for Congress that you'd just love to hop right into the middle of this.
2: Yeah, it's, uh, it's funny. Well, it's not funny, but it's, you know, unlike anything I've experienced in my lifetime, you know, I was thinking about the parallels between the last major traumatic event like this, which was 9-11, which, you know, had a more immediate destructive impact. But if you think about it, the day after 9-11, the message was, you know, go to work, go to the malls, you know, don't be intimidated, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas this is so pernicious because we're being asked to do precisely the opposite, right? We're being asked to, to stay home, slow the spread of the virus. And that has unique, not only immediate economic implications for people, but I think it's it's forcing people to adapt both physically, mentally, uh, and economically. And so it's just, it's a really unique crisis. Um, I'm proud of what I'm seeing on the bottom up here. You know, a lot of ton of people in Northeast Wisconsin are rallying to try and support those on the front lines. Uh, you know, those in our hospitals, our cops, our firefighters, but we still do have a long way to go in this thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, that's one thing we've talked about on the podcast a lot over the last couple of weeks is, Um, Especially in Northern Door County, a place like Sister Bay and some of these other communities took strong action before the state and federal government even did in terms of, hey, we need to we need to watch what we're doing. We need to declare a state of emergency and be prepared for this. So it is kind of reversed the roles for how a crisis like this usually would play out, in, in where that power structure comes from. On your end, what what are your days like right now? Uh, like you, I think you told me you're in Alloway, kind of hunker down. What is a day for a congressman during this situation like?
2: Yeah, well, Congress is, is no longer in session, so I think most, if not everybody, besides House leadership, are back are back in our home district. So I'm back in northeast Wisconsin, and it's been interesting. That, you know, because we're not in session when we were supposed to be. And because, you know, I don't want to do any political activity, it seems wrong or weird. I certainly don't want to do any political fundraising. I suspended all fundraising and I'm donating about $200,000 of my campaign funds away to charity. It has freed up, you know, a lot of my calendar. And yet I've probably been busier in the last two weeks uh, than at any point in the last three years, just trying to coordinate with the hospitals and the governor's team, Trying to work with my colleagues in the Wisconsin delegation to make sure that Wisconsin is getting its share of national supplies. You know, this morning I was on the phone with the Deputy Treasury Secretary trying to help, you know, some of my constituents understand very various, various provisions in the bill that we just passed. And so it's kind of been a mix of one, trying to serve as a conduit for good information between the federal and the state government and between both of those and my constituents in Northeast Wisconsin, two just trying to solve problems for people. Uh, And three, and related, my uh, entire staff is still working. We're doing it remotely, but we're still trying to help constituents get their Social Security benefits, get their VA care, just solve basic problems for constituents. So it's been interesting to see my team adapt to the social distancing measures, but we've been able to kind of keep the office open in in terms of serving constituents if not physically open at all times.
1: Sure. And, and as so many businesses are, are doing that same thing right now, what is your role in this in terms of trying to help procure some of the the equipment that Wisconsin's going to need to battle the coronavirus, whether it be medical equipment or other equipment from the federal government? Do you play a role in that? Do you try and twist some arms? What How does that work out?
2: I do. And it really plays out in two dimensions. Um, one, I would say the entire delegation both Democrats, Republicans, senators, members of the House, we have banded together to effectively lobby, for lack of a better term, the Trump administration and the executive branch more broadly to make sure that Wisconsin's requests for certain basic supplies are being listened to. Uh, We have gotten delivery of certain equipment from the national strategic stockpile. Uh, There's more that should be coming our way. And so we're all kind of trying to Just ensure that Wisconsin's voice is heard at the national level and make sure that equipment doesn't get routed to other areas that the federal government deems are higher priority, though we want to work well with our our neighboring states as well. But then there's kind of an informal process where just through either companies I know or people I know, I'm trying to, you know, put the governor's team in touch with various people that can be helpful both in terms of procuring equipment and and PPE that we need in Wisconsin, but also providing um, basic services for free. So, for example, there's a big data analysis company that I worked with when I was in the intelligence community that is working with the White House task force to do, to collect data in terms of cases, um, uh, supply chain issues, and they have offered their services uh, to free for a variety of states. And so I'm kind of a link between them and trying to get the governor's office to avail themselves of their services. You know, a friend of mine also runs the biggest synthetic biology company in the United States, and there's some interesting things they think they can do working with our state labs. So I guess the second category of things would be just, you know, I'm trying to hustle with my own network and everyone I know to help out Northeast Wisconsin.
1: Um, Another big question mark for everybody. The Congress had passed that Relief Act last week, but now it's how does that trickle down to businesses? Uh, I know a lot of business owners up here that I've spoken to, ourselves included, um, very curious how the funding for the uh, forgivable loan provision in, in that act that came through. What can you tell business owners about, like, what's the timeline for how that's going to come through and, and how quickly do they can business owners expect some of that money to start flowing?
2: So the Secretary of the Treasury and the Secretary of Labor have both said, You know, their goal is to get it out as immediate as possible. Now, obviously, there are limits to how quick the federal government can uh, move. But I think what would be, you know, perhaps most valuable for, you know, a lot of people in Door County, particularly if they own a small business, is within this bill, we've passed $350 billion to fund a new small business association-backed loan program in order to help small businesses pay for expenses, uh, loans taken by small businesses to keep employees on payroll. So in other words, to you know keep your workers, keep them employed, even if they physically have to stay at home, those loans may be forgiven. Uh, nonprofits will also be eligible for this program. And the federal government is going to forgive eight weeks of cash flow, rent, and utilities at 100% up to 2.5 times the average monthly payroll. And so it's not going to be like a light switch flipping on and that is great because the Small Business Administration is a bureaucracy, but everyone's trying to move as fast as possible. In particular, there's also this direct cash payment program of $1,200 per individual, $2,400 per couple. It's being based on your 2018 tax filing. So if indeed you qualify for it based on your income level and, um, uh, and other things, you know, that's being administered via direct deposit, in many cases, if you already have direct deposit on file based on your last tax return. So those are a couple of ways in which I just would say the intent is certainly to make this as immediate as possible, recognizing that we're kind of in a a month to two-month short-term crisis here, uh, and then hopefully we'll emerge from that uh, after this.
1: I I spoke to one restaurant owner today who is, you know, they very thin margins. They have their staff, the cooks, uh, bartenders, wait staff, that they're holding on to and they're saying okay do i continue to hold on to them right now like i don't i don't have the money to pay them should i lay them off can i bring them back on when, when if this loan comes through or am i not going to be able to get that loan if i if i have to lay them off beforehand do you have any clarity on that
2: yeah so i guess this is one of the main reasons i i was against the the second bill i, I was talking about the third bill uh, the most recent one that was passed but we basically, in the second bill, told small businesses between 50, in some cases 25, and 500 employees that you have to pay your employees for up to 12 weeks of leave, technically 10 weeks of paid leave at the most ambitious, and there was ambiguity about how and whether they would be reimbursed via a complicated tax credit. Now, in the subsequent bill, we have tried to fix that deficiency, and the goal is to make that tax credit. Uh, so if you are a small business in George County and you have to pay your employees leave because they have coronavirus symptoms or they have to care for a child or a family member that has coronavirus symptoms, the, the treasury department and the IRS are trying to make uh, it immediately reimbursable, immediately reimburse you for that expense. Now, whether, and separately, you can also apply for this new SBA loan in a timely enough fashion where you can still cover the cost uh, of keeping your employees on payroll, I think it remains to be seen whether they respond quickly enough. Certainly the intent of the legislation is to send a signal to that restaurant in Door County and say, if you can, you know, please keep your employees on your payroll, not only because you want to help them, but also because let's face it, workforce issues are tight right now. And I'm sure every, restaurant in Door County or, you know, Sherry Farm in Door County is competing for workers. Um, you also want to keep them on your payroll. So the intent is to send a signal, hey, if you're able to do that, we have this loan you can get, and the loan may be forgiven if indeed you can show that you kept your employees on your payroll.
1: Gotcha. On to the, the question that so many people have every single day is is testing. Door County got its first positive case of COVID-19 Test results yesterday. Wisconsin's sitting at 1,350 cases, but Door is sitting there with 60 other tests out there waiting for results. And I'm told those results are taking seven to 10 days to come back. I know in early March, Mike Pence, Vice President Mike Pence, said we would have 5 million tests coming next week. That's still not happening. What is the the problem with the testing, and what's the situation, as you understand it, moving forward in in getting enough tests? Are we anywhere close to, to ramping up to where we need to be?
2: Well, the short and honest answer is no. Though we are headed in the right direction, we are heading there too slowly. And here is the problem, as I see it, having talked for hours and hours with everybody in the testing ecosystem for the last week. You know, we have our hospitals. They're all ramping up to do the right thing. You know, in some cases in Northeast Wisconsin, we have hospitals, whether it's Aurora or Prevea, that are building drive-through test facilities in a matter of hours, and it's awesome. It's exactly what we need to do in order to shift ourselves closer to the South Korea option and away from the disastrous Italy option. However, those tests, as you allude to, though they're collected by their truck or in the hospital, then need to be sent down to either our state labs, which are one in Madison, one in Milwaukee. Or to private labs, they need to be sent via courier. There's only a few hospitals right now that can do in-house testing, and they're testing only their own patients. I think Freighter in Milwaukee and Children's in Milwaukee, possibly Aurora will come online at some point. So that creates a problem, right? Because what we've also discovered is that in order to process the test at the state labs and the private labs, We need a variety of things that we're short on supply of, And particularly, we need something called reagent. Now, I didn't know what reagent was a week ago. and Now, I've become an expert in reagent. Effectively, just think of something that comes out of a little, you know, dropper uh, that you process the test. And it is an extremely short supply. Our state and our hospitals within our state are trying to get enough reagent to process the test. And so that's right now one of the limiting factors to our ability to ramp up the testing. It's not that the hospitals don't want to collect the test, though they face some shortages in terms of having enough swabs to collect the test. But we're discovering all these little single points of failure in our system and states are now kind of competing with each other for those supplies. So a lot of what I've been trying to do in the last week is just figure out how we can get more reagent in Wisconsin so we can ramp up testing. The final thing I would say on this, and I'm sorry to go on, is that when the dump settles and we get out of this crisis, we are going to have to take a look at our supply chain and not only all the limiting factors for testing, but more broadly at all the foreign dependencies we have for basic medical equipment and basic pharmaceuticals. Most of the active pharmaceutical ingredients that are part of our drugs in America are actually made in China. And right now, China is threatening to cut off exports to exploit our dependency during this crisis, and we can't be in that situation going forward. I've introduced a bill that would shift our supply chains back here domestically because we we're just we dangerously dependent on foreign countries in general and China in particular, and this crisis is revealing that.
1: Yeah, that's something I've been following a lot too. And you, you wonder how can we get some of that back in the United States? And 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 if you are going to rely on other countries, then you then you have to maintain those. When, when some people want to be as isolationist as possible, it's it's tough to do that if you're also reliant on those countries for for very crucial things like like healthcare equipment. Um, exactly. Exactly. Um, in your understanding, the response from the United States, from testing to communicating the severity of the crisis, to Having enough personal protective equipment for healthcare workers. Why has it been so bad?
2: Well, you know, I think testing has been the biggest failure. Um, in addition to the supply chain failures that I uh, previously talked about, and while the dust is still settling, and I'm sure books will be written about how we screwed up testing so royally, I do think it's fair to say in the initial going that, you know, the CDC and the FDA. In some cases, for good reasons, right? They want to. They, they maintain very tight control of the testing regime. And there were cases early on in Washington State, for example, where private companies and or private hospital providers decided to try and make and do their own tests only to have the CDC and the FDA and step in and say, no, you can't do it that way. You know, you're seeing a similar phenomenon play out in terms of some of these drugs that seem promising for treatment and vaccines. The CDC and the FDA, for good reason, have a very rigorous, academically informed, double blind experimentation process because they don't want unsafe drugs to go to the market. But the flip side of that and the, the negative side of that is that it takes a long time for us in America to approve things like tests, things like treatments like hydroxychloroquine and things like things like vaccines. I mean, I think we're still a year away from a vaccine. So part of the slowness of our response is a function of how tightly regulated these sectors are. I would also say we're, we're learning right now how dependent not only we are as a country on foreign countries, but also how dependent every single state in our union is on the federal government. So for example, I talked about how we as a delegation are trying to get our allotment of supplies from the national strategic stockpile. But one thing that most people don't know is that we used to maintain a much bigger system of state level stockpiles in this country. But when the federal government started picking up more and more of the tab, they started closing down a lot of the state stockpiles and consolidating everything in their own national strategic stockpile. And now, in a crisis, the states don't have their own stockpile of equipment and are therefore left having to beg for generosity from the federal government. So those are just three, I think, big things uh, that we know right now. But the dust is still settling, and I'm sure there'll be a ton of lessons learned here. And certainly questions, I think, linger about the origin of this disease. To what extent the Chinese Communist Party was culpable in covering up the origin and now in waging an aggressive propaganda campaign to sow chaos and disinformation in the United States? And that's the final thing I say. Part of what's made our response so difficult is that in a free country such as ours, you know, there's so much disinformation on social media that I think things fly around the web and people don't even know if it's true or not. And that can create short-term chaos.
1: No, certainly. I I spend a, a decent amount of my day trying to correct people just responding to articles where I where I just say, could you please click through and read the article before you spout nonsense? But to be honest, I mean, do you do you think the president's downplaying of this early on in the crisis? What impact has that had in just downplaying the severity of what we were facing?
2: Yeah. And I don't know if you're referring to a specific statement he made, but, you know, certainly if the president was trying to keep the American people calm or calm the markets i understand the impulse but i think with hindsight being 2020 of course you know we should have been sounding the alarm much much sooner now there were some policymakers who were i give senator tom cotton a lot of credit for this uh i myself you know i don't deserve credit but was calling for a travel ban uh very early on from china um so i think every single policymaker we all should have been sounding the alarm much, much earlier. Uh, whether it's the president, whether his his advisors, uh, the head of HHS, the head of CDC, the, the head of the FDA, uh, but certainly, and you know, hindsight is now 2020. Um, had we been able to sound the alarm more quickly, I'd like to think it would have bought us more time in order to get our testing uh, situation where it needs to be. Now, to the president's credit, he did uh, order a targeted travel ban against China. And for that, he was criticized as overreacting by many in the media who are now criticizing him for underreacting. In fact, he was called racist by some in the media for ordering a targeted travel ban in China. I would just say that that was the right decision at the time. Um, It now looks even more of a right decision. It definitely bought us some time. And the countries that did not shut down their travel with China, notably Italy and Iran are suffering as a result.
1: Yet I remember at the time there was a lot of calls like, all right, why are we targeting China when people can still come in from everywhere else? And even when we we stopped travel from Europe with kind of the president's misstatement on national TV that sent people panicking to come home, even then we didn't shut down from London. So someone could just go from London and, and fly over from an infected area. So it seems like as much as we can give credit for the the China shutdown. And you could, I think a lot of people were rightfully at the time saying, yes, China, but also all these other places as well. And I think that's where some of the, the racism accusations came in.
2: Yeah, and I think, listen, again, hindsight is 2020. And obviously, if we could do this over, you would sort of immediately shut down travel, bring every American citizen home as quickly as possible, quarantine them for two weeks if they're symptomatic. But of course, at the time, I think, partly because we weren't getting good data from China, Um, there was a huge cost associated with doing that. And we have subsequently had analyses from outside sources that have said if China had acted a month sooner or even three weeks sooner, we could have slowed the spread by 95%. But as late as late July, we had the health officials in Wuhan province claiming that there was no human-to-human transmission of the virus that it had been controlled. And, of course, the month prior to that, with the Lunar New Year and Wuhan being a major transportation hub, millions of people were going in and out of Wuhan province and then subsequently going all around the world. And so, you know, I think it's fair to say uh, that this was probably spreading for a long time prior to even those targeted travel bans being put in place.
1: Yeah, almost certainly. You said in a conference call with uh, Andrea Palm earlier last week that you've talked to a lot of doctors and you do feel like this course of, of physical distancing is from all the doctors you talk to is the way to go and probably our only chance at slowing this for the time being meanwhile there's there's other representatives around the country go- other governors other senators and even the president for a while really preaching let's open things up we got to get things humming we got to get things humming I'm just curious your thought on like the the mixed messages that are coming out there Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin one of those um, who I think the one statement is you know essentially death is a part of life let's move on um, <laughs> what what do you think those mis- mixed messages are from all over the country are, are doing for? Trying to get people to to take the right measures now that are that are most helpful. And what do you think is most helpful?
2: Well, I think you know we're being asked by the president and others to sacrifice, to you know hunker down for fifteen now thirty days to slow the spread. And I think most Wisconsinites are are on board with that, even though it comes with the cost, uh, and even though there you know we have wildly different opinions. There's a weird generational divide on on how bad this could get, right? Whether it's you know, a particularly strong strand of the flu, or whether it is something unique. I am not in the "it's just like the flu" camp at all. So don't misconstrue that.
1: <laughs> um, Thank you for clarifying. But,
2: but I do, yeah, I, I do, I do think it is. We should have a legitimate and robust debate about how long can we stay shut down and what are the costs associated with that. And I've written to the effect of. Shutdown is not a viable long-term strategy. We have to, once we get, you know, more data via testing, be able to shift into a second phase of this where perhaps we start allowing the younger, healthier, uh, asymptomatic population to go back to work. Perhaps we start trusting our businesses to do social distancing, you know, in a way that makes sense for their organization. There may be some organizations uh, you know could be a, a newspaper it could be a you know a service industry business in Wisconsin that can work you know via via telephone and, and via the web there are others that are hardcore manufacturers or restaurants and surgeon beta can't do that you need to be physically present but I think we can trust our community leaders and our business leaders to figure out how to do social distancing in a way that makes sense for them and furthermore I think we need to figure out a way to let our kids, finish the school year with a unique combination of distance learning, online learning, you know, parent-directed learning, or even perhaps, dare I say it, you know, extending the school year into the summer um, and allowing kids to work in Door County in the summer while also finishing their school at night. So I do think it's fair for people to debate how long we can and should stay shut down and how quickly we can go back. Not the business as usual, but some semblance of normality.
1: Yeah, I think if there's if if that national conversation and the local conversation could be focused more along the lines of what you just said, is like what is the way we do this? Not simply, well, let's just open it back up and deal with the consequences, as some have suggested. That that could be tra- just devastating. So, yeah, if there's a way to say we have enough tests, we can really do our best to protect our elderly population first. Risky population second. And then how can we target that? But yeah, like you said, you, you really need the test function. You need the personal protective devices so the hospitals aren't in a panic. And when you talk to nurses, even up here where we don't have cases, nurses, doctors are are scared of what they're going to face when they go into work at, the, at nursing homes and at hospitals. And, and we need to equip them for that before we ask anybody to open up and, and pro- possibly put them at risk.
2: Well, and I would say also, just quickly, I do think ultimately we're going to get to a point, and I don't know if it's Easter or the end of April, where the president and Governor Evers are going to have to stay. You know, we can't design a one-size-fits-all policy, you know, that makes sense for every city or county or state in the United States of America, right? Because Manhattan's different than Green Bay. Green Bay's different than Sturgeon Bay. Sturgeon Bay's different than Ephraim, you know, go on and on and on. And so, therefore, you know, here are the guidelines based on the best expertise of the CDC and what Dr. Fauci says. But we need you to figure out what that means for Wisconsin or Ohio. And then within Wisconsin, the governor needs to say, okay, we need you to figure out what this means for Brown County or Door County, et cetera. I think that phase two will be a bottom up approach. But all of this is premised on the idea that we get testing where we need to be so we can start to understand. the extent of the spread, and you know how how good we're doing a job of slowing the spread.
1: And one last thing, totally switching gears here. Well, I guess they are connected, but um, one of your things that, uh, that you've pushed since uh, at least 2018 when you wrote an article for the Atlantic Magazine about congressional reform and some of the things that shocked you when you – when you got to Washington, about how things work, where it's not so much the people but the the process. I, I don't know if you still believe that or not, but um, the one of the some of those things you talked about were the congressional schedule, the and and lobbying. And I was curious. Recently, we've seen some senators that, at the very least, have made some what I would call sketchy trades. Others would say flat-out insider trading. With Senator Burr and others, and Diane Feinstein as well, I'm curious why why should uh, members of Congress even be trading stocks?
2: I don't think they should. Uh, I think every member of Congress should set up effectively a blind trust or have someone else manage their assets. That's what I've done. And then, you know, having gotten married last year, went through the process of you know my wife had to sell all her individual stocks, and so we're just totally divorced from the process to avoid any conflict of interest. And I think that should be the norm for every member of Congress. The specific cases that you referenced, you know, I read I read about them. Uh, quite honestly, I don't know if what they did was illegal, but it certainly has the appearance of, you know, at the minimum conflict of interest and possibly uh, corruption. And I just think, I, I think that is part of the reason why so many people lose faith in Congress as an institution. Why its approval rating is so low, and then the flip side of that is how people go into Congress, you know, with modest means as paupers, and then somehow emerge multimillionaires, or then use their office to enrich themselves, becoming a talking head or a lobbyist uh, for the industry that they used to oversee on a committee, and so. I think there's a variety of ways that we need to tackle that and drain the swamp. Uh, I've proposed, and this is actually an area where I think um, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez agrees with me, if you can believe it. Um, We both support a lobbying ban for former members of Congress, or at a very minimum, a five-year lobbying ban for former members of Congress. And I actually am interested in, in, based on these reports that you you referenced, we should propose – uh, either a piece of legislation or a rules change that would prevent members of Congress from, um, you know, trading and potentially doing insider trading while they're in office.
1: And those things seem very common sense. What is, why, why do they not gain traction? I mean, why are we even talking about that for the, why, why doesn't it happen already? And I, I know you've talked about this. I don't know how much traction you've gotten, but why is that not just a common sense thing? Is it, Is it true that our our representatives are just that greedy?
2: I think it's a little more subtle than that. There is kind of a collective action problem. Um, Because everything is so tightly controlled by leadership in Congress, you know, power is tightly controlled at the top, your ability to not only pass laws, but even get a hearing in a committee on certain legislation is very limited when the Speaker of the House can effectively... Kill anything before it moves. I actually sense among my newer and younger colleagues a desire to do things like this. But, you know, for whatever reason, um, the leadership in both parties is not interested in it, which is why we actually went directly to the president when it came to term limits two years ago to try and get his support to force leadership in Congress to put a term limits bill on the floor. The president did support it, but then it kind of lost steam and died. And I think it just fell off everybody's radar. Uh, my own view is that, you know, until we fix some of these structural issues and change the incentives in Congress, you know, the institution is going to further defend uh, and lose the trust of the American people.
1: Congressman, I'm going to have to leave it there because I do have to check in with the, the hospital um, regarding our first case. So I'm going to have to let you go. Yep. I really appreciate your appreciate time this it. afternoon. Fun. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I, I, great. I think uh, our readers will um, appreciate just having uh, a longer conversation about this kind of thing and, and not just sound bites and short quotes. So thank you so much for your time totally. and uh, hope to talk to you again soon.
2: Absolutely.